Hey there, it's Jason. Welcome to the Jason Wright Show, where the mission is very simple. It is to improve always in all ways. Look, I am on a mission to create the absolute best version of myself. And through the Jason Wright Show, I let you know everything I'm doing to make that happen. I interview incredible, remarkable, brilliant individuals from all different walks of life. And I also try to bring you tools, tactics, and protocols that will help you in your own personal mission to improve always in always. Now, let's get started. Well, good morning, everyone. Or afternoon, or whenever you're listening to this, I'm actually going to launch this podcast on uh, Saturday morning, uh, the 15th of July. Not that that matters to any of you, but um, I want to talk a little bit about decision making because I got to tell you, decision making is one of those things that I have struggled with for a lot of years in, in this sense. So as I looked over my probably my late 30s, a lot of the really big decisions that I started making They seem to be poor ones. I started making what I thought were not the best decisions. And they weren't, it wasn't that I was being haphazard. It's just, I'd had a really good streak. Okay, so I bought my first business, the biggest, really big, just like kind of swinging for the fences decision I I can remember making uh, as an adult was to buy my own business. I mean, it was risky. Okay, so what I did was I was working at a Fortune 500 company and I was traveling a lot, and I decided that I wanted to move back to East Texas and live and raise my children where I had grown up or nearby. I, I, I moved here to Tyler 20 years ago, I mean, just this month, 20 years ago, um, July 4th weekend, actually, and it worked. I bought this business. I mean, I was fully leveraged. You guys have listened to the show. You've probably heard bits and pieces of the story. It was a huge risk. And it worked though. There were times when I didn't think it was going to work. There were times whenever I thought it was the worst decision I'd ever made in my entire life. But as it turned out, it, it kind of worked. I, I was successful, uh, ran the company, bought some other uh, businesses along the way. Seems to work. So you have to ask yourself, was that a good decision? Well, based on the outcomes, the results of it, yeah. Now, here's another thing. I sold the business too soon. I, the business, the Some of the businesses that I sold, uh, one was the first real estate company and the second real estate company that I started. They both uh, went on to do very well after my exit. And so was selling them a good idea? Well, if I look at what they did afterwards, both of them still in existence today, doing very well, market leaders in both of their respective markets, then maybe I could look and say that was a terrible decision. And then there's this one other story that uh, happened whenever I was, gosh, this was about, man, this is going on six, seven years ago. I, uh, I got recruited to run for Congress. And that's just kind of a weird situation in and of itself. You got to understand that when, when you get a phone call and someone asks you to run for Congress, you're like, really? Okay. Now, it wasn't so far-fetched because I'd been a city councilman. I'd been involved in the political scene for a lot of years, and it, but it just wasn't on my radar. And I mean, I struggled with this decision. I struggled so hard with this decision, uh, whether or not to run for Congress. And I 
first decided, no, I'm not going to do it. I, I, I prayed about it. I talked to friends about it. I spoke to a sitting United States senator about it that I'm friends with. He was very encouraging. And then I decided, okay, I will do it after all. And I ran, I lost. And you might think, well, that was a bad decision to run. Based on the results, I lost. Okay, so selling my companies, buying the company, doing well, good idea. It worked out, right? Uh, selling the companies uh, the too, too soon, uh, bad idea. Running for Congress and losing, bad idea. Asking Jolyn to marry me, it is the greatest decision of my life. Now, there's something that all of these decisions have in common. I am judging them as a good or a bad decision based on the outcome or what Annie Duke calls resulting. And a lot of times we do this. A lot of times we will hold ourselves on a hook for a quote unquote bad decision because we are going on resulting. We're not looking at the decision that we made through the lens of what were the inputs going in and was it really, could it have just as easily turned out to be really good? If we're only going on the results, then we're going to not really hone our skills as a decision maker. And here's why. Think about this. Let's say you run a red light and get through unscathed and you actually get to the appointment you're going to on time. You're in a, you're in a hurry. You run a red light. You don't get a ticket. You don't cause a wreck. Was it a good decision to run through the red light? Well, the result turned out good, but if you only go by resulting and the result working out, then you might start to decide running red lights is a good idea. Yeah, not a good idea. Or if you get away with cheating on your spouse, well, got away with it, no harm done, had my fun, good idea. Yeah, no, not a good idea. Terrible idea, horrible idea, horrible decision, bad decision. So we cannot actually look at whether a decision or, or determine the quality of a decision based purely on the results. And I think one of the things I've, I've noticed uh, that kind of speaks to this is the most successful people that I know and that I talk to a lot that have been just, I mean, crushed in business and, and just life in general, they all will say it was a lot of luck. I, as, as a matter of fact, I don't think I've met one wildly successful business leader that didn't tell me yeah, I did this, I did that, but I got to tell you, I got lucky. There was a lot of luck involved. These are people that don't give themselves credit for the decisions based on the outcomes. If, they, if, they, if it goes well, then they realize, I made the decision, I pulled the trigger, I called the shot, but you know, also, I, but I can't really say it was a great, the result makes it look like it was a great decision, but they also will go into all the things that they did and how... This and you know that they're really, um, they're really evaluating their decisions, whether they're good or bad, based on this 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 final analysis. Let's say that they made the investment, they bought the business, they asked the girl out, and it didn't work out. The business went bankrupt. the The girl didn't work out. The guy didn't work out. But they say. If I had it to do all over again, though, I would do it. Hmm. 
These are people that are good decision makers. And that's one of the things that I want to talk to you about today because I have, I, I, I started understanding this. And the reason why I picked up, I, it's actually, I've got it right here in front of me, Annie Duke's book. It's actually called, I highly recommend to, it to you. It's um, How to Decide, Simple Tools for Making Better Choices. And I think that Annie Duke, and you guys may know her story, I think she was a professional poker player. So she was really, really good at you know, decision making. And that's kind of, um, kind of her claim to fame. And one of the things that I've taken from this is to not take too much credit for the good decisions and to not beat myself up too bad for the quote unquote bad decisions based on results. Because here's what we will do. If you do like I did, where I went through this streak of making these big decisions that didn't pan out, and here's what they look like. So I have been a partner in at least three businesses over the last decade that just did not pan out. One of them was a restaurant business. I was an investor and didn't lose money, but I got exactly what I put in. I I put in like a hundred grand in the in the deal, and I took out a hundred grand and left with some frustration, but an understanding of the restaurant business that I didn't have prior to that. Then there was a, a heavy construction business where I was a partner in that and I actually ran that as the CEO and didn't make any real money. And I thought to myself, well, gosh, I really thought we we're going to scale this thing and exit for a big exit. Didn't work out. Then there was a, uh, another business that, um, a buddy of mine and I acquired out of business school, a DME company that, um, he, he went on to run as uh, a CEO, but you know, I really didn't make anything of it. And then there was another, at least two, no, three acquisitions that I tried to make. And I would, I would take these things and I would get them as close to the finish line as I possibly could. One of them was I was trying to buy, I wanted to buy an insurance agency because then I wanted to start, you know, gobbling up and rolling up insurance agencies. I went and got my insurance license, went through and I'm a horrible folks. I am a horrible test taker and just don't like it. I'm the typical adult learner, which I know is kind of weird because a lot of what I do with the Vitruvian lab and all this is I, I do a lot of teaching. I like to learn on my own and then teach, but to be quizzed and tested on things, I just can't stand it. So it was really kind of a beat down for me. Well, we get to the 11th hour and this guy who is selling his business, the only reason why uh, myself and a would-be partner, a dear friend of mine, a, a former banker of mine, we're going to buy this insurance company. We're going to start buying other offices and roll them up. And uh, the guy says, no, you know what? I don't think I want to sell my business after all. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me right now? Are you freaking kidding me? Uh, I had another deal where it was a great little company that um, I was trying to acquire up near Dallas. It was a chemical business that just, uh, I mean, this, this was such a cool business. This guy, he sold, I'm going to give you a little bit of history that you want, don't want to know, but it's just a really cool story. So this old man, he was like pushing 80 at the time, cowboy hat wearing, Wrangler jean wearing, multimillionaire that made his fortune selling cleaning chemicals out of this little business in Roy City, Texas. What had happened is, I guess it was back in the 70s, he had gotten into this business somehow working for another guy that went broke. And he was his number one salesman. And he couldn't pay him. So he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you all of my inventory that I have left as your final payment. And so what this gentleman, who I was trying to buy his business some 30-something years later, what he did was he went out and he started mixing his own cleaning chemicals. He put them, he got in his car and he drove as far as New Mexico, Colorado, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and he went around to schools and in jails and he started selling or taking orders for his cleaning products and writing up orders. He would then drive back to his factory, 
make up batches of the product, ship it out, and then do the whole thing over and over again. By the time I met him, he had some 2,300 clients. Every one of them were individual schools and jails in about a seven-state region, I believe. And the guy had one, I remember very, very clearly, he had $1.5 million in cash in his business account that he used to operate the company. Never borrowed money. Uh, Always had a bankroll of about five grand in his pocket. And just a, I mean, just an old, hard-nosed business guy. I loved that business. And by the way, I love dirty businesses like that. I mean, that's a cleaning business, but you get the the point. It was a cleaning supply business. And we just couldn't get together. He wanted too much for the business at first, and then we just couldn't make it work. And that was just a big kick in the gut. There was another one that I tried to buy. A buddy of mine and I, we... uh, when we were in the heavy construction business that I mentioned, um, we decided we wanted to make an acquisition out in West Texas. And so a a mutual friend of ours, a guy that was a vendor to this company that we would try to buy, he said, you guys need to buy this guy's company if you want to expand out to West Texas. And to which we were like, yeah, okay, tell us about it. He said, well, I don't know if he'd sell, but he's getting up in years. And that's always kind of been my MO. I love to find those businesses where you've got a founder that's on his way out, doesn't really have a succession plan. And you see if you can be the guy to take his life's work and carry it on. And so we asked, I, I, I called him up and the first thing he told me was, well, Jason, he said, the thing is, I don't think you're going to want to buy my company because it would be too expensive and I don't need any money and I make a ton of money. What a great position to be in, right? I mean, that was pretty awesome. And I had to admire that. And, but I said, well, here's the deal. Called him by his name, Mr and I'm not going to disclose anything because he still owns the company. I said, here's what I'd like to do. I said, my buddy's got a plane. My business partner has an airplane. I said, "Um, let us just fly out and sit down with you. And one day if you show up and and you decide I'm done, I'm out. I don't want to do this anymore. We want to be the guys that you call. And he said, okay, fine, Jason, I'll give you an hour. So my buddy and I, we load up in his, his plane, we fly out there and I walk into to this day, and guys, I have seen some brilliant businesses. I've seen some well-run businesses. But this guy that was, it was an industrial business, not something sexy like a tech business or anything like that, an app developing company or biotech, nothing like that. This was one of those dirty businesses. And it was so unbelievably well-run and pristine. And he had he had organizational skills. For, for example, it was a, there was a lot of tools and equipment that were used in his business. And so he had set himself up as a Milwaukee tool distributor so that he would get a better deal on his tools. And if any of his employees had to come in and get a new wrench, a new hammer, whatever, whatever piece of equipment, they had to go to the cage, which was like his own warehouse on site and make a job requisition and not only basically order for that job, a new tool that would be charged to that job, but had to explain why they were replacing their wrench, hammer, or whatever the case may be. And then he put, he put gas tanks on the um, in the yard where he would fill up his trucks, and he had ice machines where they would have to do requisites for ice. The reason why, he did not want his employees taking the trucks to gas stations. He said, that's a waste of time. They can fill up with ice, water, and fuel right here. Then he decided it was cheaper to start his own tire distributorship so he could buy his tires cheaper, set up a, uh, a, 
a couple of bays to change out all the tires on his trucks. And then he hired a service department. He created a service department so that he could get more use and longer use out of his equipment. I remember walking into one room in his office, or not his office, but there on site. And this guy was like, he's 74 years old, walking around with a cane, white beard, a cap, a, a uniform shirt on with his name on it. And um, so he wasn't hit, hitting the gym. And um, and he uh, he opens the door and he, say, he said, well, there's my, uh, my health and wellness plan. And it's this beautiful gym with all this amazing equipment on, in this industrial yard, okay, where all these heavy construction workers <laughs> are, are working. This beautiful gym, no one's using it. And he said, yeah, he said, that gives me a tax break uh, from the guys in D.C. And by the way, I paid 50 cents on the dollar or 30 cents on the dollar for every piece of that equipment that you see there. I went to a liquidation sale from some gym or something like that, bought all their equipment. I put it in there. And just because I have dedicated that space to a weight room, then um, then I get to claim that as a health and wellness plan. It saves me money on, on my taxes. Just brilliant. And so. My buddy and I, and, and we end up, we, we have a great meeting with the guy. I mean, this guy, he didn't need the money and he was just crushing it. I think he was doing something like 25 million in EBITDA annually and had all the money needed, had no family. He told us, he said, you know, he said, Jason, he said, I've got no family. I don't want any family. Whenever I, I always thought that one day I would just lock the doors and have one heck of an auction and just get rid of all this. I've never even considered selling because I don't want to, I don't have to, don't need money. And he said, but I like you guys. We, we really meshed with the guy. And he said, I'm not going to sell to one of my big competitors. I'm not going to sell to private equity because I don't want to deal with lawyers. I don't have to deal with lawyers. I'm not going to do it. It's just a headache to me. And so, you know, my buddy and I were thinking, we're, God, this is amazing. This is working out way better than we could have ever imagined. And so we leave there and uh, we shook hands and we're thinking, okay, one day we're going to, this is going to be ours. I mean, this is a multi-million dollar business. He doesn't care about money. So there's probably gonna be some sweet owner financing. He likes us. Maybe we'll come up here and we'll work with him on board for a while before he makes his final exit. I call, I used to follow up with him almost monthly for a while, but nothing ever happened. So I had all of these just near hits that never seemed to happen. I did some consulting for a business that, um, Man, I loved this deal. Uh, uh, Crown and Caliber is a great online luxury watch retailer that I did some consulting for early on. It's now part of Hodinkee, um, an Atlanta-based online retailer. I mean, and and you know, I, I'd like to recognize the the brilliance of Hamilton Powell, who will probably never get the credit from the likes uh, like Nico Leonard and these awesome guys, uh, Teddy Baldassar, these unbelievable watch personalities that are out there because watches are huge now and the secondary and gray market for luxury watches is huge and one of the pioneers in that space was Hamilton Powell who was the founder uh, and CEO of Crown and Caliber which still exists and but it's just uh, a part of Houdinki now and I loved that so much the only problem was it was in Atlanta Georgia and my daughters were in high school in Tyler Texas and I just wasn't gonna leave my girls and so it's like man that one is so close so I guess there's my ring if y'all hear somebody uh, at my front door sorry about that um not just that's not just a little uh, angels you know ringing their their bells in my podcast that was actually someone at my door I guess I forgot to turn my phone off anyway and so that one didn't work. So I just had these strings of 
what seemed to be bad decisions, went through a divorce, um, you know, that, you know, and that was horrible. That was a beat down. That really beat my confidence that I'm never getting married again. That was just absolute misery. But I couldn't say, but could, but given Rylan and Abby, my daughters, who you all hear me talk about all the time, who you've listened to on this show, how could I possibly say that that was a terrible decision? It was, it had mixed reviews. It was a, it was a decision that had some bad things that occurred afterwards. But if I were to just go purely on the results of married versus divorce, one would look at that and say, it's a bad decision, which it wasn't. It was just a decision that had some bad elements to it. Here is the point of this podcast and those those stories of my less than stellar decisions. Because uh, by the way, I mean, let's, let's face it, I made the decision, and how many people say that? They'll say that, getting married was the worst decision ever because the marriage didn't work out. Well, you know, I made the decision and I said, I would never, I used to believe that. I I said, I will never be married again. I'm not going to do it. Was single for five years. Didn't date anyone. Dated one person and said, I'm not getting married again. This isn't fair to you. So adios. And then, um, I decided to make what turned out to be, if you just base it on results, you know, which I'm not going to do, but nevertheless, it turned out to be the greatest decision of my life, which was to marry Jimlin Wright. But here's what we have to do to overcome this resulting, this, um, this outcome bias, is we have to just really hone in on making strategic decisions and realizing that the results are never really the determinant of whether it was a good or a bad decision. Now, we know going in, the one I talked about earlier, when you go and you decide to have an affair, that's a bad decision from the get-go. You may have results that don't harm you initially, but it's bad for your soul. It's bad for your character. It's bad for all the parties involved. There are risks. It's just like running the red light. You can get away with it, but it was a bad decision because you hedged toward unsafety. You hedged towards something. So there are some decisions we make that, they are, you can't just say it was a good decision based on the outcome. You have to look at what were the elements of the decision. And then we have to look and say, it, just because something didn't work out, like all those decisions that I told you that didn't pan out for me for business acquisitions or anything like that, I don't consider those bad decisions. I learned something each and every time. I learned what not to do. I learned that just because I didn't pull off those acquisitions that it didn't mean it was a bad decision. It just means it just didn't work out. It wasn't because of anything I did. I couldn't control the insurance guy that wouldn't sell his company. I had no control over that. So how could I say that was a bad decision to pursue that? Um, selling my companies too early, I made money. It's kind of like Warren Buffett always saying that during the uh, financial crisis, he made the decision to not sell his stock. So he never lost money. Had he sold and then lost money, would that have been a good decision or a bad decision? Well, you can't just go based on the results. See, Warren Buffett had leveraged enough of his experience and his wisdom and his knowledge to know that this calculated decision is not, I'm not going to just jump hastily into a decision. I'm going to look over the times whenever I have probably sold, he's probably sold into a down market. There's probably been a time where even though the protege of Benjamin Graham, he is, and the successful investor, he is $114 billion net worth and all, he probably learned 
to not sell into a down market because he just let history be his guide. So, and was that a good decision? Well, it turned out well for him. All of his investments, they they came back. And one of the things I did during the um, the financial downturn of 2007, 08, that, that sort of time, I took that advice. And man, it was tough because I had some accounts that were just going, just just dropping like, uh, like a lead balloon. But I hung on to them and they all came back higher than where they were before the financial crisis. So it's how we look at our decisions that will often determine how we make future decisions. And you have to know, I remember there's a great scene, as silly as it is, in Wedding Crashers, where Christopher Walken is talking to his daughter in the movie, Rachel McAdams, and they're out, they're trying to choose flowers for her wedding. And he can tell that there's just something off that she's really not happy to be marrying Bradley Cooper's douchebag character that he played in that movie. Great film, though, by the way, Wedding Crashers. By the way, the the highest grossing rated R movie of all time uh, at the time it was made. I don't know if anything surpassed it or not, but just uh, and maybe it's rated R comedy in some, some category. Still just a phenomenal movie. It's one of mine and Abby's favorite movies is Wedding Crashers. Real good dad, huh? Letting letting my daughter watch Wedding Crashers, but nevertheless, not all of my decisions are that great. But um, he's talking to her and he says, you know, the best we can do is take all the data we have and process it and make the decision. That's all we can do. It's not so much a matter of, there are some decisions that are good or bad. Snorting some blow, bad idea. There's no, that's not a good idea. And just because you survive it, if you, if you go by result bias, if you feel really good and you survive it and everything's cool, you may think that's a good idea. No, not a good idea. But when we're talking about the decisions that we make day to day, do I take the new job or do I, do I stay where I am? Do I start the new company or do I not? All we can do, and if we're really interested in making good decisions, is we have to use the data at hand and move forward. And what this does is this releases you from being on the hook of whether you're about to make a good or a bad decision. Instead, you're more focused on, I'm making an educated decision with the data before me. It's not good, it's not bad, it just is. It's a decision, it's calculated, and I'm gonna take a shot. I think it'll work, I'm gonna make a shot. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't mean it was a bad decision. That's not what it means. If you decide to put off a vacation by one week and you and, and, and you're thinking to yourself, well, and, and as a result of putting it off by one week, there's a hurricane that comes in. Does that mean it was a bad decision to put it off? Now, that's probably a bad analogy because you probably would have seen something on the way that indicated there was a hurricane coming. But if you had no idea that the storm was coming, or that the hotel that you were staying in was catching on was going to catch on fire, was that a bad decision? No, it just was. You could you couldn't plan for that. And by the same token, I guess a better deal would be like, well, it says there's going to be a hurricane coming, but I think we can get there. And by the way, the rooms are going to be a little cheaper. Let's go ahead and go. And you go, and the hurricane stays out in, in you know far offshore. You have a great time. You get about a thirty percent discount on your hotel room, and you come home like, ha, what a great decision, really. Were you the one that decided that that that, that the weather wouldn't not pan the, the wouldn't weather would be okay? No, you didn't. It had nothing to do with your decision. You just made a decision and got lucky. 
that the weather didn't do what it was supposed to do. Don't give yourself too much credit. By the same token, if you decide to go to, you know, the West Coast and there's everything's fine and a wildfire breaks out and you end up right in the middle of it and you have to evacuate and your vacation is ruined, did you make a bad decision? No, you didn't. You had no control over that wildfire. So when you are trying to make these decisions, and this is the thing that um, we get to, um, we give ourselves too much darn credit, good and bad. That's what resulting does. And I think resulting will lead to you being a, a, a poorer decision maker. I know it has for me. So what I try to do now is I try to take data points from previous decisions that results being good or bad, look at the good parts in them, take and leverage those, enhance those, avoid the things that I might have done. I could have done door A or door B, and it turns out door B was wrong, and here the the same thing is presenting itself, so I'm going to go through door A now and realize that every decision point is simply a learning experience for the next move. It's not so much about a good decision or a bad decision. So don't let resulting be the determinant of whether you've made a good or a bad decision. Instead, be calculated. Don't have paralysis by analysis. Just use every decision in the rearview mirror that will look bigger. <laughs> Objects will appear closer than they are, further than they are. You'll see that you'll see that 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 decision that you made in the background you think ah i am an incredible decision maker i crushed that deal i 10x'd that investment so on this one i know i i, I have nothing to worry about Whew, you do that you're setting yourself up for trouble or an unbelievable opportunity presents itself but it looks similar to the one that just was terrible the, the result was terrible the last time you say no way not doing it again i don't care how good it looks i'm out i'm not going to do it well then you might miss the opportunity of a lifetime you might decide you, you could have been like what i thought i would be which was i had a disaster of a marriage the first go around 17 years of just a lot of hurt and pain and struggle and say i'm never doing this again and because of the results of that missed out on undoubtedly the greatest gift and blessing of my life. And those of you who have listened to this show at any time, you know that I admire, respect, adore, cherish, and love Jimmel and Wright more than anything on earth. I would have missed out on that if I had only gone by the results of the previous endeavor. So don't do that. I'm, and by the way, this podcast today just like all the others, is me boomeranging right back to myself. Everything I'm telling you, I'm trying to solidify in my own mind because I don't have it all figured out. I'm just, just because I'm the guy with the microphone does not mean that I've got it all figured out. But I am endeavoring to improve my decision-making always in all ways. And I hope that today, gave you some tools and some insights to do the very same thing. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Jason, and I'm out. Hey, 
Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. It means more to me than you can possibly imagine. And if you enjoyed it, please consider going out to Apple and leaving us a five-star rating. That would mean the world to me. Also, follow me on Insta at Jason right now. And don't forget, download the Vitruvian Lab app. I mean it. I want to be your personal peak performance trainer. I want to help you improve always and always. Lastly, check out my newsletter, The Vitruvian Letter. You can subscribe at jasonrightnow.com. And until we meet again, please continue to endeavor to improve always in always. I'm out. <laughs>